0: Alright. So it's great to see everybody tonight. Um, let's uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, the promise that you made to us that we're two or three are gathered together in your name, that you would be right there in the midst of them. Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is right here in the midst of us tonight. And Lord, He's here to do what Jesus uh, asks for you to send Him to do, and that is to lead us and guide us into all truth. So thank you. Tonight, Father, as we humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit to teach us, Lord, we bring our hearts to attention and we cooperate with Him, Lord, by putting forth the effort that is necessary on our part, Lord, but we also thank You, Lord, for His work and and what He's doing to help us tonight. Lord, specifically in the area of renewing our minds, Lord, we uh, we bring our faith to bear on that tonight, Lord. We ask You to help us with that, Lord, and we thank You, Father, for Your truth and wisdom. We pray for all those who are joining us online, Lord, I thank You. Father, for the same Holy Spirit, Lord, that's present in this room, to be present with them tonight, and we believe you, Father, for a great night of victory, for your, the glory of your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen, and amen, and amen. So, class number 35, I don't know if it's gone by quickly for you, but it has certainly gone by quickly for me, And um, but we're excited about finishing strong. Um, first slide I'm going to put up is more for the benefit of those watching online. This is my email address, and... Um, those of you who've been watching online and um, are wanting to get a completion certificate uh, please don't communicate with me through Facebook about this, please send me a, an email, alright, there's sometimes hundreds of folks communicating with, with email I mean with Facebook, so please send me an email and, um, and I will contact you directly um, about uh, your qualifications for a completion certificate. Alright, so tonight as promised Um, we're going to roll up our sleeves and dig into an extremely important subject, and that subject is renewing the mind. Now, um, let me go ahead and begin by saying I use a couple of different terms interchangeably, uh, and that is, in addition to renewing the mind, I'll also use the phrase reconditioning the mind. Reconditioning the mind. And as we begin to work our way through some of this, you'll understand why I feel like that is not only uh, applicable, but also, I believe, uh, is important. Now, by way of review, um, we ended on uh, last week in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. And here it says uh, simply this, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. Now we've referred this verse throughout our time together multiple uh, different times on multiple occasions. And we said that, among other things, this verse points out two different realities taking place in the same person, in the same life, at the same time. See, we have this idea that if we're the heir and if we're master or lord of all, then we're not a slave. Or, if we're a slave, then we can't be the heir and master of all. But yet, here he says that the heir, as long as he's a child, is not different at all from a slave, though he is master of all. And of course, the only way that we'll ever understand this is to understand spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit being who you truly are in Christ, who you, were, who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. The one who is as a child, we said, remember, is someone who's ignorant, immature, unable to speak on his or her own behalf. So as long as someone is ignorant, immature, unable to speak on their own behalf, they can be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but still live more like a slave than the one who rules and reigns in life, that they were born to be in Christ. So again, this verse, just using it as a segue to transition over into, obviously, um, the answer to this dilemma, and I think it's one, if you understand what I'm saying, it's a dilemma we can all relate to. Um, the answer to this dilemma is, again, renewing the mind. So, let's begin tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll put these verses on the screen as well, but I'd like for you to look at these in your own Bible as, as, as well, and perhaps maybe Mark, underline, highlight a few things as we go along. Praise God. Now, <clears throat> remember the Bible was not written in chapter and verse. This was a letter written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. And so just like if you were writing a letter uh, to a loved one or to a friend or what have you, you wouldn't like to do chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 1, verse 2. The chapters and verses were added later. And so if you'll notice uh, tonight, we're going to begin in chapter 2, verse 14, but we're going to continue all the way through to chapter 3, verse 3. Alright? So, it says this, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal." For where there are envy and strife and divisions among among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Now, in this portion of Scripture, we see three categories of people. Three categories of people. I want to point out to you, first of all, these categories of people, we see that he mentions those who would be called natural. 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 And the idea behind someone who is natural in this context, this is speaking of someone who has not yet been born again. This is someone who is uh, born of the corrupted seed of Adam, but has not been born a second time of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And so they would be in a natural state. And the Bible says of someone who is natural that the things of God are foolishness to this person. And so this would be like your friend who's not saved and doesn't get you. They don't get you. They don't understand why you're interested in going to church. They don't understand why you're such a fanatic about all that God stuff and, and, and so forth and so on. It makes no sense to them. And, and that's because they haven't been born again. They don't have the capacity yet to process it. Alright? The next category that we see mentioned here um, is, uh, would be those who are carnal. Carnal. Alright? Now... Those who are carnal are different from those who are natural because someone who is carnal is someone who has been born again, but for the most part still thinks like someone who has not been. They have been born of the Spirit. They have been born from above. They have been born a second time of this incorruptible seed, and they have new spirit within them. But for the most part, someone who is carnal still thinks like someone who is natural. They, they, they think more in line with and in, in, in agreement with the flesh as opposed to thinking in line with and in agreement with the spirit and their born-again spirit. All right. Now that leads us to the third category. And the third category would be those that the Bible refers to here as being spiritual. And I think you probably already figured out where this category fits, but this would be someone who has been born again and for the most part, thinks like someone who has been born again, as opposed to continuing to think like someone who is natural or who has not been. Now remember, we said that when you were born again, your spirit is completely and totally and instantly changed in that moment. But the part of you that thinks and feels and chooses your soul, that part of you is a work in progress. That's a part of you that is being saved and then your body, the flesh, the outward part of you, the Bible says your salvation will not be complete until your temporary dwelling place, this tent, is traded in for a glorified body, already prepared for you and waiting for you in heaven. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it unto the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All right. So, someone who is spiritual is someone who has both been born again but their mind has been renewed or reconditioned to the point to where for the most part they begin to... They're, they're thinking like this. They're, they're seeing themselves as someone who is righteous. They're, remember we use the terminology sin consciousness versus righteousness consciousness. And so again, this is someone who... I'm not saying they're, they're, they still struggle in these areas, but there's, there's been this tipping point um, where now they see themselves more as the righteousness of God that they became As opposed to continuing to see themselves as the sinner that they once were. So, three categories of people natural, carnal, and spiritual. Notice that the Apostle Paul came to these men and women with some important information that they needed in order to move forward in their life and destiny. But the Bible says they were not able to receive that information, they were not able to receive that truth, that revelation, because they were carnal. Right, so one of the things that we're going to see right off the bat is the more carnally minded we are, the, the more dense we are, the more uh, the less receptive we are, the less ability we have to take the deeper things of God and embrace those things and benefit from those things in our lives. So there's a there's this, um, and so again, let's use that same maybe some of you the same example. Some of you have had this experience. You have relatives or friends who are born again, um, but you you start trying to tell them some of these deeper things that God's teaching and doing in your life, teaching you and doing in your life, and they look at you like, what? You know, I mean, it's like it's it's like it's just bouncing off. Have you had that experience yet? Okay, all right. So again, that doesn't mean they're not saved, and I don't suggest you go, you know, calling them carnal. But this was the experience that Paul was having, and notice he said he had come to them once with this information. And he said they weren't able to receive it at that point. And now he's come to them a second time. And he said that they're still carnal. They're yet carnal. And are still unable then to uh, receive it. Remember we've talked throughout that the truth of God is built into our lives line upon line. Line upon line. Precept upon precept. Precept upon precept. And there are certain things that have to be in place first in order for other things to be built on top of those things in our lives. And this would be another classic example of how that works in a practical way in an individual believer's life. Now, I want to just, while we're here, I want to, uh, matter of fact, let's turn there, Romans, the eighth chapter, Romans chapter eight, and I want to just again tie in a few more things here about being carnally minded. I don't know about you, but what I remember about this word carnal, when I was, you know, in church, being raised in church as as a child, as a teenager, young adult, was, you know, the sermons that I heard about carnal and carnality were more focused on our behavior. Carnal living, fleshly living, and how we needed to get the carnal behavior or the carnality out of our lives. Well, what we see in Scripture is that the reason we still struggle with carnal behavior is because we still have carnal thinking. In other words, if we're carnally minded, that's going to result in carnal behavior, fleshly living. What do you think if that's the case? Spiritually minded, men and women, right? To be spiritually minded is going to lead to more spiritual uh, living, spiritual life reality, the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. Alright, so Romans chapter 8, let's begin at verse number 6. He says to born-again believers now, this remember this is written to the church at Rome, it's not like the letter to the Hebrews, this is written to people with an understanding that they have been born again. So he says to born-again believers, for to be carnally minded is death. This is speaking of physical death, not spiritual death, right? But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Just curious, how many of you have ever or can recall a time that you've heard Pastor Mark use the words life and peace, right? Life and peace. Amen. And so, again, to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. All right? So, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So, I don't think it takes a lot of explanation here to point out, again, that we want the life and peace and not the death. We want to be on a trajectory that's leading us into more and more of the life and nature of God experientially and more and more of the peace of God, amen, in our lives. This word peace here means every kind of good. It, it doesn't just mean like the absence of conflict or, st- or stress or strife. It's, it's, a, it's a covenant word that is speaking of physical well-being, emotional well-being, mental being uh, well being, soundness, prosperity. And so we could just again go on and on just with those two words, um, what life and peace actually mean. But again, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Then he says the carnal mind is enmity against God. Now, this word enmity again is a word that we introduced in class number one. And the idea behind enmity is it's the absence of or the lack of harmony it refers to a disagreement of any kind. And enmity can range from a difference of opinion on a spectrum all the way to violent hatred, right? So just a simple difference of opinion. You say tomato, I say tomato, right? Um, That's disagreement. That would be a low-level grade version of enmity, right? All the way to violent hatred, genocide. I mean, you, you understand what I'm saying. All and everything in between is enmity. So notice he says that the carnal mind is enmity against God. Or we could say it another way. As long as we're thinking in alignment with the flesh as opposed to in alignment with our born-again spirit, we have some form or some level, some degree of disagreement in our lives towards God. Now remember, Praise God. Let me pull this out right quick. I think I've stuck it in here. Let's do this. I'm jumping ahead. I'll come back. Remember, you are a spirit. That's the real you. You also possess a soul. That's your mind, emotions, and will, the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses. And all that is contained like a hand in a glove in a physical body, your flesh, your five senses, also known as the outward man. Okay? Now, remember, sin brought enmity between God and man. Sin separated us from God. Right? Am I right about it? I know I'm reviewing a lot of this. Some of you I know are hearing it for the first time. So sin caused enmity between God and man, but sin also produced enmity within man. Within man. So when we call upon the name of the Lord and are saved, that enmity between our spirit and God's spirit is removed. God gives us a new spirit. And our new spirit and His spirit become one spirit. It's like pouring two things of water into one container and then trying to separate them. right? It's just not going to happen. But again, that, that enmity was removed immediately when you called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. But there's this, this lingering enmity that, that has brought chaos to the three yet one, the triune man. And that enmity now resides within this soulish part of us. Remember we said that there are people who believe that we, that we have two natures now? When everything in the Bible says that we don't, okay? But again, why do people believe that? Because the old person that we were, the old nature left an imprint, left a mark on our thinking. And so that's why it seems like there's two in there fighting against one another. It's just the, it's just the residual, the residue, right? Right? If, if I was to put fruit punch in this bottle, wash it out, fill it back up with water, I would probably still have a hint of fruit punch in there because there's a, there was a residue left in the container. Are you hearing me? Right? So the old man that we were, that, that, that we no longer are, that was buried in an unmarked grave with Jesus, right, left a residue in our, in our minds. This is why our mind needs to be renewed. This is why our, our thinking needs to be reconditioned. It was programmed according to that old man. So the enmity here is gone. But there's a lingering enmity here. The carnal mind. There was the more the more our mind aligns with the flesh, right? That's that's what it means to be carnally minded. And so again, to be carnally minded, the Bible says, is death. Let's go back to it. Praise God. To be carnally minded, that's the one I'm looking for right there. So, carnally minded is death because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's enmity against God. Now, When we talk about this enmity against God, this is the whole concept of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. So let's go back over this again. You've got your checkbook. And in your checkbook, you have something called a registry. And in that registry in your checkbook, you have the amount of money you think you have. Okay? Then the bank sends you a statement. And that statement tells you how much money you really have. It tells you the truth. And when you reconcile your checkbook, that's when you line up what you think you have with what is the truth. Amen. So, here is the statement from the first bank of heaven. This is the truth about you. This is the truth about who you are. This is the truth about what belongs to you because of who you are. This is the truth about who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Right? Now, the registry, I started to point to it, but I've already removed it. The registry that is our thinking, our soul, right? We say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you were a sinner, you've been saved by grace. Now that you've been saved by grace, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. To think that you're still a sinner when God says you are just as right before Him. In his eyes as Jesus, notice now that's enmity. God is saying one thing, you're saying and believing another. God has one opinion of you, you have another opinion of you. God says, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And you keep saying, hello, my name is John and I'm an addict. Again, God's like, that's not what I said, that's not who you are, right? So see, there's, there's residue From that old person that remains, where does it remain? It remains in our thinking, not in our spirit. It remains in our thinking, not in our spirit. This is why our minds, again, have to be renewed. They have to be reconditioned by faith, by the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit, to the truth. Okay? Amen. Are you picking this up? Alright, so. Reconciliation, then, is bringing harmony and agreement where there was once Disagreement. That's why, again, you've heard me say it early and often, the best advice I could ever give anybody is agree with God and agree with Him quickly. If He says you're rich, quit telling Him how poor you are. If He says you're healed, quit telling Him how much your foot's hurting. Amen. Just agree with Him. Agree with Him. Because remember, He calls things that be not as though they were. Amen. In other words, his, His Word, you agreeing with Him in faith, has the ability to produce in your life reality the very thing that He says. All right, turn with me now to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, please. And we'll begin at verse number 1. Thank you, Jesus. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. I did something today, and I really felt led to do it. Man, I'm so thankful I did. The Holy Spirit helped me. I went back through the whole section on renewing the mind and and reorganized it and added some stuff to it and restructured it. So I'm really excited about presenting this tonight. I think you're going to... The Holy Spirit's going to use it to bless you, alright? So, let's go to Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Notice he's saying this is the least that we can do, is, is show up, right? Amen. Um, verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, all right? Now, there's a lot that we could talk about here. Um, Let me, uh, thank you Jesus. Um, Let's do this first, all right? I like to sum this verse up by saying, living sacrifice is becoming living proof of a living God, all right? Amen. One One of my assignments is to give you something to say, give you something to confess, all right? Are you hearing me? And so, I want you to begin to confess over yourself. I'm a living sacrifice. I'm becoming living proof of a living God. I'm a living sacrifice, and I am living proof of a living God. Amen. Amen. And so, notice, that's what, he is, that's what he, he's emphasizing here um, in, in this passage. So, let's go back to it. I beseech you, therefore, this is strong language, that you present your bodies, not as a sacrifice on the altar that, that is dead, but one that is alive and holy and acceptable to God. And this is our, our presenting ourselves in this way before Him is our reasonable service. Now, notice do not be conformed to this world. That word conformed, I want you to think of Play-Doh or putty or clay. And again, that, that can be formed by outside pressure being applied to it. Are you with me this evening? Outside pressure being applied to it can, sh- can, can change the shape can change the shape, can change the shape of it, can, can change the form of it, right? And so he's saying that the world that we live in is applying pressure to us from the outside, and, 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 the, and the idea is that it's trying to mold us into thinking the way it thinks and into living the way it lives. And if we do nothing, I use this as an example, we live in a negative world, if we do nothing to stay positive and full of faith, we will become influenced, we will become conformed to the negativity in this world that's all around us. All right. So he said, do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the outside pressures of this world change the way you think. Because and, 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 remember, we're not here to be formed by the world, but we're here to bring change to the world. I mean, we're not here to be influenced by the world, we're here to influence the world around us for the glory of our Father. Right. So instead of being conformed, he says be transformed transformation, metamorphosis. He's talking about this ongoing change that takes place in the life of a believer by the renewing of your mind. Now, if you've never been born again, the transformation you need like immediately, yesterday immediately, is you need to be born again. You need this transformation that takes place at the spirit level of your being. But if you've already received that transformation, then what's next for you is the transformation that becomes uh, a reality in your life through the renewing, the transforming of your mind. Amen. Now, notice also connected with this is that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let me, if I could, just real quick like correct some error here. And the error is, this verse is often taught as if the Good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is somehow denoting three levels or three degrees of the will of God, and that is completely false, okay? And I know I'm probably upsetting a lot of Bible teachers and preachers right now because we love three-point sermons, and this one's handed to us seemingly on a silver platter, all right? But here's the problem with that, okay? People believe, well, you know, you've got the acceptable will of God, you've got the good will of God, and then you've got the perfect will of God. And I may not be in the perfect will of God, but I'm somewhere between good and perfect or somewhere between acceptable and good or I'm somewhere around the acceptable range or I'm on the outside of acceptable, but I'm trying harder, Pastor Mark. That is not what he's talking about here. Okay, Each one of these words are adjectives all describing the will of God. Amen. And so when he says the the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, that word perfect means all-encompassing. That word uh, acceptable means uh, means well pleasing, and that word good means beneficial. So that you might be able to prove what is the beneficial, well pleasing, all encompassing will of God for your life. Are oh, you understand what I'm saying here? In other words, God has, God has a, a desire for every aspect of your life. When it's all encompassing, that means nothing's left out of anything that has anything to do with you, okay? Um, and notice that His will, His desires for you, are beneficial. they're well-pleasing, and they're all-encompassing. But now, with all that aside, notice this word prove here, this word has to do with life experience. It has to do with something that has been tested and proven experientially as opposed to what most have, and that is something that is only understood theoretically. So the idea is that we might prove it, that we might experience it, that we might taste it, that we might live it out, and that we might become this living proof of a living God by the life that we live. And in other words, Father God wants people to look at your life and say, you know what? Living for God must be the best way to live. Man, look at, how the, look at the favor of God, the blessing of God, the kindness of God. The, the, you know, that people can see your life as, as, as one that is, that is displaying um, God's beneficial, well-pleasing, all-encompassing will for a man or a woman's life. But now notice, if we're going to display that, if we're going to experience that, what is it directly connected to? The renewing of the mind. The renewing of the mind. Alright, now, a few things as we move forward. Jesus' first, most frequent, and most obvious message is Repent. Okay? He, he he began his earthly ministry preaching repent. He told his disciples to preach repent. But remember, before Jesus ever began his earthly ministry, the guy who set the stage for him, John the Baptist, preached what? Repent. Now, again, because what I remember from being raised in church, I always thought repent meant stop sinning. And that's kind of like carnality meaning bad behavior but the word repent is the greek compound word and it literally is the transliteration is metanus and it means a new condition of mind a new condition of mind so for instance when jesus said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand he was saying the kingdom that used to be three heavens away and very difficult to access is now right here upon the earth but if we continue to think like it's three heavens away instead of right here, we're, gonna, we're not going to respond properly to it and we're going to miss out on what we could otherwise be enjoying. In other words, you can't keep thinking the way you've always thought about these things because they're not the way they've always been. Something's changed. And we've got to renew our mind. We've got to, we, I like to say it this way. The whole discipleship process is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God helping your mind catch up with what God's already done in your spirit. So Jesus came to change everything. But if people still think like the old system and try to respond to God according to the old system instead of the new system that he, he did away with the old and brought in the new, but if they're still trying to operate with God according to that old system and thinking based upon the old system instead of the new system, they're going to miss out and they're going to miss out big time. Are you following this? So this was, again, Jesus' uh, earliest, most obvious, and, and uh, most consistent uh, message all the way around. Praise God. Now, let's do this. Praise God. Um, I'm going to try to, I mentioned earlier, I reorganized this teaching. And um, we're going to present this to you tonight by way of answering three questions. First question we're going to answer is why do our minds need to be renewed? We've already uh, you know, kind of mentioned some of that uh, in, in the introduction. The second question we're going to answer tonight is why is renewing the mind so important? I know these kind of seem related, but you'll see the difference uh, once we get into the material. And then the uh, third question that we're going to answer uh, tonight is how do you effectively cooperate in the renewing of your mind? Okay, so again, um, why do our minds need to be renewed? Why is renewing the mind so important? and how do we effectively cooperate in the renewing of our minds. So let's start with the first one. Why do our minds need to be renewed? Now, this one I have just an opening statement, and we'll continue to build on. But our minds need to be renewed because our understanding has been darkened by sin. The Bible teaches this. I'll show you this verse later. But our understanding has been darkened by sin, and our minds have been conditioned by the things we have experienced in the world. Right? So why do our minds need to be renewed? Because again, our understanding has been darkened by sin. And our minds have been conditioned by the things we've experienced in the world. Now, this is the part right here that can... I have to watch myself because it's one of my favorite parables in all the Word of God. And we find it in Luke the 15th chapter. And this is often referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. But clearly Jesus began the parable by saying a man had two sons. So this isn't just about the younger brother who went and wasted his father's inheritance, or the inheritance he he received from his father. But it's also as much about that older brother who stayed right there with his father, but never understood what was his, never really was interested in fellowship with his father, only interested in what his father could give to him or what his father could do for him. Again, there's a lot of teaching that we could do from these verses. What I want to point out to you, though, in our visiting them tonight, is that this is a case study on how someone's mind and thinking becomes conditioned through the things they experience, right? So, let's begin at verse number 12, and I'm just going to, again, try to just point out the verses to you. And the younger of them, this is the younger brother, said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. This is another part of the story. I'm not necessarily here again to teach in all this tonight. But notice, it doesn't say divided to him. Divided to them. In other words, the older brother got his portion the same time the younger brother got his. Alright, so again, another, another class for another day. Alright? So we see that he took his portion of the inheritance, and the Bible says not many days after that, he departed for a faraway country. And there he wasted his inheritance on riotous, prodigal, also known as wasteful living. All right? I'm sure none of us, but you probably know somebody right, that, that's done that. All right? And, um, <laughs> and so we see that he ran out of money, and at the same time that he ran out of money, the Bible says there was a famine in the land. And he went and joined himself to, uh, you know, a, a landowner, a farmer, what have you, in hopes to work for that man just to be fed. And he was given the job of feeding the swine, the pigs, slopping the hogs. And he was so hungry, he asked for some food that they were feeding the pigs, And they told him no. And the Bible says at that moment that he came to himself. And he said, you know, my father has servants and he treats his servants much better than this. I'm no longer worthy to be called my father's son, but I'm going to go back and I'm going to see if my father will let me become like one of his servants Because again, his dad took better care of his servants than this man took care of his servants. And so he goes home and his dad sees him coming and the Bible says his dad runs to him, falls on his neck, kisses him, puts shoes on his feet, uh, robe on his back, ring on his finger. All that's highly symbolic. The shoes symbolize freedom. The robe symbolizes standing or righteousness, right standing. The ring symbolized uh, authority. And so we see that this young man was instantly restored by his loving father, welcomed him home, killed the fatted calf, threw a big party. He said, my boy was dead, now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And of course, this is a set of three parables in which Jesus is longing to communicate to you and me the heart, the true heart of our Heavenly Father for us. And how Father rejoices over things that are lost, people that are lost, that come back and are restored back to him. Now, I think a lot of times we miss some of the subtleties of this story, like divided to them his inheritance. And I think another thing that we miss, and, and it was a tactic that was used in the same way that if you were telling a story and you were wanting to emphasize a certain portion of that story, you might raise your voice, you might get real you know, dramatic or emphatic at that point of the story, But a real common way of emphasizing something that you want to point out above everything else is just simply by repeating it. And so as Jesus told the story, there was a portion of the story that he repeated. And the portion of the story that he repeated was what the young man said in his heart first, and then what he said within himself, he later said out loud, audibly to his father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, Make me like one of your hired servants. Notice what this young man's wanting to do. He's wanting to be given an opportunity to try to earn his way back into right standing with his father. He's wanting to be given an opportunity to hopefully play his cards well enough, long enough, to one day be restored. Never mind that his father's already restored him while this garbage is still coming out of his mouth. Because Matthew 12.34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. In other words, what's in his heart, what's in his mind is coming out of his mouth, even though his father is putting ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, robe on his back while he's continuing to say this. Here's the thing, it's not the happy happy ending, I think, that a lot of us want it to be. Because although this young man came home, he did not come home to be his father's son. He came home to be a servant. And how many are father's sons in this room tonight? How many fathers' sons in churches all across America tonight? They didn't come home to be Daddy's son and right standing with Daddy. They came home in hopes to one day play their religious cards well enough that they might could be called his son if if they're good enough, long enough. It's not what's going on here. It's not what the heart of our Father is for us. Now I want you to compare this verse the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me, so he divided them as livelihood. This took some, uh, what's the word, huxba, right? This took some, this, this took some guts, but, but I, I think it took more than that. I think that it expressed the relationship that this young man had with his father. I think, it, I think there's, maybe you say, you're reading too much into it, Pastor Mark. Maybe we're not reading enough into it, right? This young man was comfortable enough to go to his father, And I think he would have never done it if he didn't feel like that his father was the kind of man who would actually take this kind of a a drastic measure and and go ahead and give him what was his. Notice the difference in verse 21. This is after he comes home. This is after he's already experienced all that he experienced out in the world. Sin in the world has chewed him up and spit him out. He comes limping home and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Lots changed here, right? Lots changed here. Now, what I want you to see is that this son now sees himself as unworthy. I'm sure none of us in here have ever felt unworthy, but again, you probably know somebody. all right? Unworthy, right? But it didn't stop there. Because, in addition to seeing himself now as unworthy, he sees his father as unwilling. Does his father love him any less? We might could make a case that his daddy loves him more now than he did the day he left. Right? If anything, he loves him more. Certainly, not any less. Let me ask you. Let me it in the way has the father's heart towards this young man changed at all? No. But that's not how this young man sees his dad now. Before he left, he saw his dad as gracious and giving and generous and kind and loving and and all these other things. Now he comes back because he sees himself as unworthy. It translates into him seeing his father as unwilling. Alright? Now, I want to Real quick, like, I want to present to you what I call a three-dimensional plan. And we see this three-dimensional plan in the pages of this parable. But we also see it, amen, repeated over and over and over again in every other human being that's ever lived on planet earth. In other words, this is the devil's three-dimensional plan that he wants to use against us. Right? So, number one. He wants to deceive you into separating yourself from your heavenly Father. Deceive you into separating yourself from your heavenly Father. Okay? Number two. He then, once separated, wants to entice you into living by and for your flesh. Entice you into living by and for your flesh. Okay? Now, most people are like, okay, yeah, I got that, Pastor Mark. I've never heard it maybe said quite that way, but makes makes sense to me. But I didn't say two. I said three-dimensional plan. Because it's this next part. It's this next part that the devil is most interested in. Have you ever... I know some of you are into football. Some of you are not. So I'm not, again, I'm not... Pardon the sports reference, but are you familiar with the terminology yards after catch? Those of you who are not really into sports that much, let me, let me, it kind of works like this, okay? The quarterback throws a two-yard pass, a receiver catches it, and then runs 48 yards and scores a touchdown. The quarterback gets the credit for throwing a 50-yard touchdown. He only threw the ball two yards, and then the receiver ran 48, and the quarterback threw a 50-yard touchdown pass, okay? That's called yards after catch, okay? Now, absolutely, yes, amen, all right, so why am I even talking about that? The devil is not just interested in the face value of our sin. He's not just interested in a five yard sin. He's interested in all the mileage, all the yards he can get after that sin. All the things that he can use that sin to reinforce as far as wrong thinking and wrong beliefs about yourself in your life. Classic example, you ready for this? We've certainly all been tempted and have all given in to the temptation and sinned. But we've also all done something else. We've all been tempted and actually have stood our ground and not given in to the temptation. And yet the devil still tries to make us feel guilty. If you were really changed, you wouldn't even be tempted by that stuff anymore. Who are you kidding, man? up in the front row of that church, acting like you're somebody. We all know, if you had the chance right now, you'd go to the crack house. Blah, 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 right? See again, you were tempted, you didn't give in to the temptation, you should be running laps around Heritage Christian Center with both your hands up in the air, and the devil is sitting there beating your brains out, again, because it's not about the face value of the sin, because what he's really interested in is using this way of life to form within you wrong opinions of yourself and your Heavenly Father. That's what He's been after the whole time. is to get you to believe things about yourself that are not true, and and that then is going to translate into you believing things about your Heavenly Father that are not true. Three-dimensional plan. Deceive you into separating yourself from your Heavenly Father, entice you into living by and for your flesh, and then, the long term, if we allow it, the long term, impact of this is the wrong opinions of ourself and our heavenly father that can be formed in us All Right? again I'm trying to move through this real quick light so five factors whoop I'll go back I'll go back I'll go back I'll go back, I'll go back. amen Who's my teacher? I'm not sure why you asked me that, but amen. Praise God. Did I say something crazy? What do you need? Does it help? i read it to you. Write it as you read it. Deceive you into separating yourself from your Heavenly Father. Entice you into living by and for your flesh. I'll slow down on this one. Use this way of life. To form, to form within your wrong opinions of yourself and your heavenly Father. Amen. I'm on page four. I got six more pages of notes to go. Top of page four, okay? Amen. Amen. Well, amen. It's coming soon to a bookstore near you. All right. All right. Five factors. All right. Five factors. Again, we could, we could teach two, three classes on this. I'm just trying to squeeze it in here, all right? The point is this. The young man experienced some things that reshaped his opinion of himself, which translated into reshaping his opinion of his father. What were those five factors? The first one is what I simply call wasteful or unproductive living. And then in parentheses, he had no responsibility. He had no responsibility. Now, the bottom line of it is this. If you read Genesis 1 where God created all of us, we were created by God to be productive and fruitful. And we may think the best life in the world would be to win the lottery and lay around and do nothing all the time, but I'm telling you, you would be miserable. Because when we waste time, when we waste money, when we waste opportunities, and, we, and when we waste our abilities, it affects the way we feel about ourselves, and ultimately it affects what we believe about ourselves. This young man came back talking about how worthless he was. Wasteful and unproductive living always leads to a sense of loss and worthlessness. All right. Now, the next thing this young man did is he established a false identity, also known as no accountability. There was a reason why he went to a far country to do what he did, right? He went somewhere that nobody knew him, right? And now that nobody knows him there, he gets to be whoever he wants to make himself out to be, right? So he rolls in with lots of cash and, and, um, and he's the life of the party and he's this and he's that, right? No, no responsibility. Again, no accountability. He created a reputation for himself. And that led to him falling into the trap of establishing his identity based upon what he could get other people to believe about him. Established his identity based upon what he could get other people to believe about him. Let me stop for a moment and talk about this, okay? This is important. This is where we wind up living our lives through the eyes of other people. This is how the world lives their life, all right? We don't live our lives through the eyes of other people, we live our lives through the eyes of our Heavenly Father. Amen. This has become so profound in folks that I have seen it so many times over the years that God is doing a tremendous work in a young man or a young woman's life, but they refuse to believe they're changed until they can convince their mama that they're changed. If daddy don't believe it, it ain't true Till daddy believes it, Pastor Mark. Well, daddy may never believe it. God help daddy. Daddy may never believe it, but whether daddy believes it or not, whether mama ever says or acknowledges what God's doing in your life or not, it doesn't depend on that. It's not about that. It's about what your father says, Right? We wind up living our lives through the eyes of other people we establish this false identity, right? An imposter. I'm sure I'm not the only person in this room that's ever felt like an imposter in life. Number three, we're just going to call this one loss and poverty. Loss and poverty. These things shape us, do they not? Do they not? Loss and poverty. This young man experienced it. A lot of us in here have experienced it. Failure, brokenness, and all the shame that goes along with it. Disappointments, unrealized goals, lost dreams, things not working out or turning out the way you planned. Loss and poverty. Shake this young man. Number four, I'm just going to simply call it calamity calamity. And what we mean by calamity is in his case it was famine. Calamity could take the form of some disaster, a natural disaster. Some type of tragedy in in your family or in your life personally. I know I'm giving you lots of factors and categories and lists and things tonight. These things Can basically fall into two categories themselves, all right? Things that this young man brought on himself, okay? In other words, he brought it on himself, taking all his daddy's money and going squandering it, right? Wasting it. But he didn't sign up for a famine. You understand what I'm saying? He didn't ask for that. That was something that happened to him. So you have the category of things that that we do, choices we make, but then we have how other things or other people's choices have impacted and affected us. Two separate categories. The fifth thing, though, here, this last one, I believe is one of Satan's most powerful and influential weapons to use against us. And that is, Rejection. 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 Especially when we have developed a way of life living through the eyes of other people. Notice how the devil sets us up. Now when those people reject us, the fall is twice as hard. This young man asked for hog slop because he was starving to death and they rejected him. Do you understand what they were saying to him, right? They were saying, uh, young man, that pig is worth more to us than you because we're in a famine right now and if push comes to shove, I can eat that pig, but I can't eat you. So I'm going to keep that pig alive and watch you die. That's rejection right there, my friend. That's rejection. I've heard stories of folks who, one sister in particular, she's tears streaming down her face, the lowest point in her life. She said, Pastor Mark, my own mother wouldn't slide a sandwich under the door to me. Amen. Amen. Oh, sweet Jesus. I jumped ahead of myself there. Let's stop here for a moment. I think we made the case, but let's make sure we make the case. Why is it necessary for our minds to be renewed? Quite simply this. Our understanding has been darkened by sin. We've experienced things in the world that have conditioned the opinions that we have of ourselves, the opinions that we have of God, the way we think, the way we look at things, the way we see things. And therefore, our minds, because they have been conditioned by the things we've experienced, they need to be reconditioned. Remember, the joys of salvation are greater than the pleasures of sin. The joys of salvation are greater than the pleasures of sin. The problem with that statement for most folks is they've experienced the the pleasures of sin, but they've not yet experienced the joys of salvation. This leads us to the next question. Why is renewing the mind so important? Why is renewing the mind so important? So now we see why it's necessary. Now, we're going to build on that and look at why it's important. Okay? Now, this first one is probably the longest one. Alright, so I'll go ahead and put it up and let you start writing away. right. Renewing the mind is how you put off the behavior of your former self and put on the new man created in Christ. Go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians 4. I'll leave it up there for a few minutes. But go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians 4. I'm more interested in you getting the Word than getting this written. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4. Thank you, Jesus. So renewing the mind. There should be a period there. I apologize for that uh, oversight. But renewing the mind is how you put off the behavior of your former self and put on the new man created in Christ. Let's talk about it for a minute. I'm sure I'm not the only person in this room, again, that has a tendency sometimes to to behave like that old guy instead of like this new guy that I became in Christ. So how do we effectively... Put off that behavior and put on the new man created in Christ. All right, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. You're going to probably want to mark these in your Bible. These are some really important verses right here. Especially, they're important, period, but really important where this subject is concerned. All right? Ephesians 4 and 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility or the vanity of their mind. Now, I like futility here. I think the King James Version uses the word vanity. Sometimes we hear vanity and we think pride and arrogance. And and if if something is futile, it means it's never going to produce the results you need it to produce. No matter how many times you try it that way, it's it's not ever going to do what you're wanting it to do. It's futile. It's it's vain. It's a vain effort. It's not not ever going to work out. So let's back our way up into this first verse then. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you... Who are the you's that he's talking about? He's talking about born-again believers. Again, this is a letter written to the church at Ephesus. The born-again believers in Ephesus. And he's saying... That they should no longer walk, live their lives on a daily basis as the rest of the Gentiles walk. A Gentile is simply someone who has no covenant with God. He's talking about people who don't know God. People who aren't saved. People who who aren't uh, born again. That they should no longer walk, continue to walk, live their life as the rest of people who don't know God live their lives. How are they living their lives? They're living their lives in the futility of their mind. Their best effort, their best understanding, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. To be alienated means to be separated from. He's saying that they're on the outside looking in. They're they're not on the inside. They're not in on this. They're not a part of this. This doesn't belong to them. This hasn't been given to them. People who don't have a covenant with God. But we're not people who don't have a covenant with God. We're people who do have a covenant with God. But he's saying to people who have been born again and and who do have a covenant with God, you're living like someone who doesn't have a covenant with God. You're living like someone whose understanding is still darkened. A natural man, right? the things of God seem foolishness to these people. He said, you're living like someone who is an outsider, who's alienated from the life of God instead of someone who has been given the life and nature of God through the new birth because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. Some of you'll remember this verse. We looked at it once before. That's the word manthano. It's the word, the root word from which we get our word "discipleship" or "disciple from." To put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus. Now, here we go. You ready? Verse twenty-two. That you put off, put away, put behind you, set aside, concerning your former conduct, behavior. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and being renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness, and holiness. He's talking about stepping out of one and stepping into the other. He's talking about leaving behind the behavior and the life reality of the old man and stepping into the conduct, the behavior, and the reality of the new man. Again, if you've been born again, that's already happened at the spirit level of your being. But now he's talking about this becoming a practical experience of life. Remember, the inward reality becoming an outward expression. Yes, brother? I will, yes, sir. The spirit of the mind is the question. I'll come right back to that. So he's telling us here that if we're going to put off the former, the old person that we were, but Again, there's residue of Him in our in our soul, in our mind, emotions, and will. He said if we're going to put off that former conduct, because, because we have carnal thinking, it's producing carnal behavior. If we're going to put off the behavior, the conduct, we've got to do what? We've got to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. So this takes renewing the mind one, one level down, all right? The idea behind the spirit of your mind. He's talking about the attitude of your mind. He's talking about the bent or the slant of your mind. If we've got any Marines in the room this evening, uh, in the Marine Corps there's something called spree de corps, the spirit of the corps. And that's simply uh, the, the Marine Corps code. It's the way a Marine would carry himself or herself. And the, and the idea of the, the, the spree de corps, the Bible talks about the spirit of faith. Again, it's how someone carries themselves. It's the attitude of someone who is operating and living in faith. So, being renewed in the spirit of your mind, he's talking about the, the attitude of your mind, the, 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 the focus of your mind, the slant or the, or the bent of your mind. Be renewed in the, in the way your mind functions in, in, the, in the things your mind is even focused upon. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man. So notice, he's telling us the practical way to do this. He's telling us how to put off the former and put on the new man, and that is to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Let me say it another way. and Until we are renewed in the spirit of our mind, we're going to continue to struggle with the conduct of the former man and, 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 and fail to experience all the benefits and, and good things that belong to us in our life reality living according to the new man. Amen. Whew. We're going fast tonight. I got that, alright? Any other questions? Great question, Chuck. Anybody else? Is this making sense to you? Again, we're asking the question, why is this important? Well, I reckon this is important. I mean, right. And, and, and there's, there is no, there is no uh, equal substitute for this. You know, it's like, well, I'm really not into renewing my mind, Pastor Mark. What else can I do... Uh, It ain't happening. It's not happening. Alright? Okay. Uh, So number one. Number two, the renewing of the mind makes continual transformation possible for the born-again believer. The renewing of the mind makes continual transformation possible for the born-again believer. I just walked in front of it and excuse me. The renewing of the mind makes continual transformation possible for the born again believer. Which was number five. Yes, we're at, these. I'm going to give you six answers to why it's so important. Okay. Who's on first? (laughs) All right. So, number one is renewing the mind is how you put off the behavior of the former self, put on the new man created in Christ. That's number one. All right? Okay. This is why it's important. Again, without without this, we're going to continue to struggle in behavior that's not us anymore. It's not who we are anymore. Okay. All right. So, number two, why is renewing the mind so important? The the renewing of the mind makes continual transformation possible for the born again believer. I obviously want you to, to get this in the sense that I want you to write it down, but. Even more important, I mean, somebody right now ought to be going like, Thank you, Jesus. Okay? Because if continual transformation is possible, that means things can be even better than they are right now. So that's number four of number three. No, I'm kidding. That's um, you're you're getting over into that third question. The third question is how do we effectively do it? How do we cooperate in the process of our minds being renewed? And so yes, watering thoughts and things of that nature will certainly get there. But for now, I'm just I'm I'm wanting you, I'm I'm wanting I'm wanting us all to understand. Right? Let me let me ask you. I'm not going don't, don't please don't answer out loud. I'm just saying, what is it in your life right now that's still maybe bothering you? Or maybe something that you tend to still struggle with, or or some issue that 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 just, you know, for whatever reason, just kind of trying to hang on a little longer, or or what have you, than some other things. The, the hope is, the good news is, the confident expectation is, I'm not through growing. I'm not the man I used to be, but I'm also not the man I'm going to be. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? Praise God. Amen. So because I can still have an experience renewing in my mind, I can still have an experience transformation in my life. Jesus said, I would do the works that He did and even greater works. I'm not there experientially yet. But I'm not done growing yet. I'm but a renewed mind away from raising the dead. Come on now. Did Jesus not raise the dead? Did He not say we would do what He did? Right? Right? You walk up to a coffin and you, you, with that on your mind, you kind of start feeling, well, okay, yeah, I see, you. amen. All right, man. Amen, right? But I'm not, I'm not done yet, right? Change is still on the table for me. Change is still an option for me. Change is still an opportunity for me. Growth is, is still there for me, right? And it really does rise and fall with the renewing of the mind. I am transformed. I experience metamorphosis. I experience transformation in direct relationship to the renewing of my mind. So the more my mind is renewed, the more my life is transformed. That's that's this. If there is a quote-unquote secret to this class and why people have come to this class year after year after year for 14 years now, I remember, finally after six years, I kept thinking, well, everybody that's ever going to take this class is, is taking it, right? So I said, you're going to do it next year? I'm like, Again, I'm, I'm not the person now that I was then. But then I was like, well, I mean, if, 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 I, mean I don't know who would come, but yeah, I mean, I guess. You're, you see what I'm saying, right? Hey, but, if you, but if there is a, a, a secret as to why people are attracted to this class, it's right here. Right now, we spent 34 and a half classes together. Our minds being renewed. And it's, and it's producing results in our lives. We're being changed. I've watched you change. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying, man? Some of you don't look like the same people that walked in this class how many weeks or months ago. We're not thinking like we were thinking six months ago. We're not seeing ourselves the way we saw ourselves six months ago. Well what if we continue for another six months? What if we continue for another six years? What if we continue to grow in faith for another hundred years, for another thousand years? Mm. Amen. Saying right now, you just ready to continue through the summer? Amen. All right, brother, we can get there. So, the verse that goes with this, of course, we've already looked at it Romans 12 and 2. Now, some of these, I'm not trying to be, uh, what's the word? I'm, I'm not trying to be cute or give you a little quotes or quips. Um, some of these, again, it, it, it's not a specific verse. Like, for instance, number three, why is the renewing of the mind so important? You cannot rise above or operate beyond your thinking. You cannot rise above or operate beyond your thinking. Amen. Now, there's not a, you know, I I wish I could tell you, turn to Proverbs, whatever, and it says, Thou shalt not rise above or operate. But again, this this is a a deduction. In other words, this, this is a conclusion reached from multiple verses, right? The Bible says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. How about the Henry Ford quote? Anybody familiar with this one? Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Now here's one of my favorites. This is based upon uh, some things I learned from Dr. Neil T. Anderson. Number four, why is renewing the mind so important? Your behavior will always line up with what you believe to be true about yourself. Your behavior will always line up with what you believe to be true about yourself, and then you know what I'm going to say next, right? Even if what you believe about yourself isn't true. Why is renewing the mind so important? Well, what you think about yourself, your, your behavior, is going to line up with that. I wrote this in my notes. You cannot think wrong and live right. And one of the mistakes that we've made is we've tried to change our behavior without changing what we believe to be true about ourselves. There's, there's laws of physics involved in, in a motorcycle. And in a motorcycle, the, the rear wheel is the one that's driving it, and it's stationary, right? It doesn't, it doesn't turn. It's the front wheel that turns, but there's no there's no drive. The chain or whatever doesn't turn the front wheel. It turns the back wheel, but the front wheel steers it, right? But those two wheels are always trying to align with one another. And so you can like throw a motorcycle into a drift, but it's gonna line back up. You understand those wheels are gonna line back up. You can't you can't turn that wheel for very long without. Either the back end sliding around or something. You understand what I'm saying? There's a force there that's involved. And for some reason, I I always think of this when I come to this point. See, think of your behavior as the front wheel of that motorcycle. And think of what you believe to be true about yourself as the rear wheel of that motorcycle. And we've tried to change the direction of the front wheel without changing what's driving that. Amen. And, and we do it for a while, but then all of a sudden they violently snap back into alignment with one another. Also known as relapse, right? And we wonder what in the world. Yeah, sling us off, right? Sling us off in a ditch somewhere. Alright. Now, um, praise God. Number five. You ready for number five? Number five. You will always believe others have an opinion of you equal to or less than the opinion you have of yourself. You will always believe others have an opinion of you equal to or less than the opinion you have of yourself. Let me say it another way: I'll never think that you think more of me than I think of myself. You see what I'm saying? I'll never think, man. You know, I, I'm a jerk. I hate myself. I just, you know, I'm a miserable person. But everybody else thinks I'm the coolest guy ever, right? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. How you see yourself is how you believe other people see you. How you see yourself is how you believe other people see you. And we tend to relate to other people based on how we think they see us. Remember the young man. He saw himself as unworthy. He saw his father as unwilling. And that's how he responded to his father. That's how he talked to his father. That's how he... You know, when his father's doing all these things for him, and he's he's just sitting there, just you know, vomiting out all this you know ridiculous stuff about how unworthy he is, and blah 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 blah. And his daddy's like blessing him, but he don't see it, and he is because he doesn't he doesn't see it. He doesn't think his father, and so you know, you, you try to point things out, and it's like, well, you just felt sorry for me, really didn't love me. But you know, again, it it creates this limit, this ceiling. Alright, here's a really cool verse that really sums this up. Numbers 13.33 There we saw giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. This is when Moses sent the twelve spies into the promised land. And ten spies came back with an evil report. Joshua and Caleb came back with a faith report. And this is what those ten spies that had the evil report said. They said, there's giants there. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And because we saw ourselves as grasshoppers, we were viewed by them as grasshoppers. So we were in their sight. Are you seeing this? All right, number six. Why is renewing the mind so important? Because your emotions are produced by your thinking. Your emotions are produced by your thinking. Now, I've had some folks get a little irritated to me over the years for this, but I'm not trying to make you angry. I'm trying to help you, okay? Most of what we understand about this comes from people who don't know God and therefore don't understand what Father God has revealed to us already about how He created us and about how the soul is intended by God to function. When I teach on spirit, soul, and body, I always define the soul as your mind, emotions, and your will. Or to simplify the part of you that thinks, the part of you that feels, the part of you that chooses. While I do believe that is the case, and I have no plans unless the Holy Spirit was to tell me to do it, of changing that anytime soon, the reality of it is this. The thoughts or the thinking is the driving force of the soul. Your thoughts influence your emotions, and your emotions influence your choices. Amen. Amen. And then our choices, right, affect our thinking and it just it creates a cycle. But again, the driving force of the soul is the mind. And we see verse after verse after verse where we're instructed to be more disciplined in our thoughts and thinking, because it's a lack of discipline in our thoughts and thinking that leads to negative emotions, which then influence poor choices or decisions in life. And also, creates depression, doesn't it? Absolutely. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. That's what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs. Yes, Chuck? It begins with a fault. Um, Praise God. Alright. Let me... I don't want to rush through this. This is important. Um, Let's go go to John 15.11. John 15.11, Jesus speaking. Give you a minute to turn there. Did you get that one before I... That was a pretty brief one there. Easy to write down. Taking notes. John 15.11. And then we'll, just real quick, we'll go to John 16, 33. Pretty close to one another there. In John 15, 11, Jesus speaking, He says, These things I've spoken to you, that My joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. These things I've spoken to you, that My joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full complete okay then in John 16:33 Jesus says something similar but instead of joy he uses the same principle but instead this time speaks of peace these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer I have overcome the world okay now thoughts produce emotions in his book victory over the dark darkness dr neil anderson uses and i'm not quoting exactly here um, but he uses this example and it goes something like this a man has you know Great job, making a quarter of a million dollars a year, company, car, great benefits, retirement, doing what he loves. Shows up for work on a Monday morning, goes to his corner office on the 17th floor with a beautiful view. Um, out the windows, he sets his coffee down, briefcase. Turns on his computer to get ready for the day, and the first email that pops up is from Human Resources, and it says, we regret to inform you, but your job has been eliminated. Please clean out your office and exit the building. Well, notice that his emotions were at one level because of his enjoyment of his job and all that he was experiencing and the benefits of that. But where do you think his emotions went from there? I mean, they could have ran the whole gambit, right? From fear to anger to frustration to depression panic, I mean it, just literally, um, you know, just a flood of emotions, okay? He's sitting there kind of stunned, trying to think how he's going to explain this to his wife, um, and his computer bleeps again, and it's a second email, and it says, oops, please disregard last email sent to wrong person, okay? Well now notice where his emotions are are going now, right? Um, Relief, hallelujah, can't believe they did, you know, all this, right? And there's a whole range of emotions. Now, here's the simple point, profound point that Dr. Anderson was making by this example. The information was false, but the emotions were real. See, all that changed was what he was thinking, right? And, and all the, that sway of emotions, swing of emotions, rush of emotions that he experienced, they were all very, very real, but they were all based upon information that was not true. That, that was not the way things really were. So do you see how the things that we think about Produce the emotions. If we were sit here and think about laughing children, I could show you pictures of my grandson, and y'all would all be in here smiling, right? Amen. But then we could look at more tragic things, or, or, or if, again, if we set our thoughts and minds on those, our emotions are gradually going to follow those, those thoughts down into a, a lower or, or darker place. Now see, this is the people. It's not that simple, Pastor Mark. No, but listen to me. That's not, that's not what God said. Okay. Now, notice that Jesus is saying that He is telling us things that come from heaven. Remember now, Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. This means He's a living, breathing expression of the divine mind, the divine intelligence. So He's saying this. He says, I'm telling you these things so that you can have my joy in your heart and your joy levels be full to overflowing. If thoughts produce emotions and they do, what he's saying here is, here is a thought that originated in my Father's heart. This thought came straight from my Father and I'm passing this thought along to you. If you'll take this truth and you'll begin to develop your thoughts around a thought that originated in the heart of my Heavenly Father, that thought will produce the same emotion in you that it produces in my Heavenly Father. I'm telling you these things so that you can have my joy in you. I'm telling you these things so that if you'll develop your thoughts and thinking based around the things that I'm telling you now, these thoughts will produce not just some level of peace in you, but they will produce a peace in you that passes all understanding. So why is it so important? Because your emotions are produced by your thinking. Let me say it another way. If your thinking never changes, how can your emotions change? Have you noticed it? Have you noticed that as your thinking's gotten better, your emotions, you're not, you're not as raw? You fuse it in as short? You. <laughs> You're you're able to deal with disappointment a little better, right? Again, this is all uh, beautiful signs of our minds being renewed. All right. Now, I said there were three questions. The first one is why is it necessary? The second one, why is it important? The third one is how do you effectively cooperate in the renewing of your mind? How do you effectively cooperate in the renewing of your mind? Okay, you still with me? Wow. Let's tackle as much of this as we can. Are you good? Finishing strong? How do you effectively cooperate in the renewing of your mind? I hope by now we've made at least a a, a decent case of why it's necessary and why it's important. Let's get a couple of things established from the very beginning. You cannot renew your mind without the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Okay? But it's also true that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God cannot renew your mind without your cooperation. So, this is not anything you can do without the Holy Spirit's help and without the Word of God. But it's also not anything that can take place in your life, you know while you just play video games or suck the cream out of cream-filled donuts or something. You know what I'm saying? In other words, we got we to be actively engaged in this. It's a, it's a joint effort. John chapter 16, please. John chapter 16. You're already there, but this time let's back up to verse number 7. John chapter 16 and verse number 7. All right? This is what Jesus says, John 16, beginning at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you, and when He has come, He will convict the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Just curious, how many of you in this room have ever heard the expression, being convicted of sin? You've heard that expression before, okay? Have you ever heard being convicted of righteousness? Okay, far fewer. Only a couple of hands went up on that next one. See, we hear that about being convicted of sin. Oh, I feel so convicted. I feel so convicted, right? Well, the Holy Spirit's not just here to convict us of sin, convict the world of sin, but also of righteousness and of judgment. Now, Jesus knew how crazy some people would be about these things, so thank God He was led by the Holy Spirit to give us some clarification. Of sin, convict of sin because they do not believe in me. Convict of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Convict of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Okay? I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, what is He going to do? He's going to guide you into all truth. Rarely do we start a class in here that we don't acknowledge the Holy Spirit invite Him to come lead us and guide us into all truth. For He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. Now, this word convict, I want you to see how the Amplified brings this Clarification. Brings us clarification to this word. So the same per- passage from the Amplified. However, I'm telling you nothing but the truth when I say it is profitable, good, expedient, advantageous for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the Comforter, Counselor, Helper, Advocate, Intercessor, Strengthener, Standby will not come to you into close fellowship with you. But if I go away, I will send them to you to be in close fellowship with you. And when he comes, he will convict and convince the world and bring demonstration to it about sin and about righteousness, uprightness of heart and right standing with God, and about judgment, about sin because they do not believe in me, trust in, rely on, and adhere to me, about righteousness, uprightness of heart and right standing with God because I go to my Father and you will see me no longer about judgment because the ruler, evil genius prince of this world, Satan, is judged and condemned and sentence is already passed upon him. Let's start with this last one. I'll tell you what, before we start with any of them, let me go ahead and make this statement, alright? The Holy Spirit is the great convincer of men's hearts. Amen. Amen. He has been sent to help us. He's been sent to help us. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, we need some help. And one of the key areas we need His help in, perhaps more than a whole lot of other areas, is we need His help in the renewing of our minds. Let me say it another way. We need Him to help us be convinced. Think about that for a minute. Now see, when we only hear such a limited understanding or, or, or you know, sermon or sermonette, whatever lesson on this verse about the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin, and, and we don't even understand what that really means. The Bible says no man calls Jesus Lord but by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who convinced you and me leading up to the moment that we received Jesus called upon Him to be saved. It was the Holy Spirit who was convincing us You're a sinner, and you need a Savior. You're in trouble, and you need somebody to rescue you. You're in a dilemma that you can't get yourself out of, but there's one who will rescue you and get you out of it. In other words, we may not recognize Him in that moment. We hear convict of sin, and we think He made us feel guilty and ashamed. No, 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 listen to me. The Bible says worldly sorrow, right? That that leads to death. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us have that godly sorrow, who helps us recognize that we've got a problem we can't fix ourselves, and, and, and that pr- leads us to call upon Jesus to receive that salvation. Now, we also see that there's a couple of other things mentioned here that people are blinded to. We've covered one extensively. Righteousness. I've told you over and over and over and over again, because of what Jesus did for you and because of the gift that He gave you, an abundance of grace and a gift of righteousness. Right? That you have the same right standing before God the Father as Jesus Himself. That you can come boldly into the throne. Everybody talks about storming the gates of heaven. Man, you've got a key, brother. You belong there. You know, you got, you're storming nothing, man. You. <laughs> you seated there with Jesus, right? And I could tell you over and over and over again, I'm not saying it wouldn't help. But you'll never be convinced until you let the Holy Spirit convince you. Until He convinces your heart that in spite of whatever we still may be struggling with, the real you is just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus Himself. That the gift of righteousness that you were given was not the righteousness of a forgiven sinner, but the righteousness of one who lived on this earth without sin. And your standing with Father God is not that of a forgiven sinner. Not that of a sinner who had his sin taken away from him. But that of one who's never sinned. That's who you are in the eyes of God. But see again, you know, how different would our life be if we saw ourselves that way? And it's the Holy Spirit who's there to convince us. This next one I think is also of particular interest that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would convince us of judgment, not our judgment, not that neighbor who plays his music too loud that won't listen to us as judgment, right? Uh, somebody that we want to see judged. No, he says the convince of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged, condemned, and sentenced is already passed upon him. Why do we need the Holy Spirit to convince us of that? Because much in the same way of our own righteousness, it sure doesn't seem like that's the case, does it? (laughs) Doesn't seem like that's the reality, but that is the reality. He lives inside of us. He's in us. He's with us. He's upon us. He's around us. Absolutely. Well said, Kim. Amen. So notice then, if our minds are going to be renewed, we're going to have to have some help. You know, that verse I mentioned earlier Jesus said the works that He did we would do also, and even greater works because He goes to His Father. We need some convincing on that, don't we? Amen. To the point that we wake up every morning of our lives seeing ourselves in that same light. Praise God. Let me give you, uh, I'm not going to give you any more because I'm just going to stop right here, okay? It's quarter till. Are you getting anything out of this? Alright, so this kind of sets the stage for where we're going to begin and be next week. (coughs) Excuse me, I want to, um, just to give you some idea and I'll say this. I want to finish this, and we've still got a little ways to go in this section then I want to I want to talk to you for a few minutes next week about what Abraham believed and then I want to give you something called uh, the butt nows of Scripture okay and uh, but anyway we'll we'll get to it. let me pray Father thank you for this time together this evening thank you for the things that you're teaching us, things that you have taught us but father most importantly thank you for your holy word and for your holy Spirit. Father, he's the great convincer of men's and women's hearts and I thank you that he's Alive and active and working in us right now. Convincing us of the truth. Renewing and reconditioning our minds. Fathers, we cooperate with Him by applying our hearts to understanding. Lord, by, by spending our, our, our time in, in, in study and coming to classes. And, and, and putting forth effort, Lord. Thank you that the Holy Spirit comes alongside those efforts. And Lord, makes up the difference. Makes up, Lord, the gap that exists between our ability and your ability. Father, I thank you as well tonight, not just for those that are watching online or present in this room, but I thank you, Father, for the countless numbers of men and women that these men and women are going to help and minister to and teach and lead and disciple in the days ahead. Thank you for a great evening ahead of us now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.